Welcome. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is David, and I have the great privilege of being the pastor here at Redeemer. And actually, uh, there's another fun thing that is that is happening here this morning. Um, the church that I grew up in, uh, the pastor of that church, Herb and Cheryl Coates, uh, are, are visiting here, uh, us this morning. My pastor uh, from growing up is here from Champaign, Illinois. That's Herb, and that's Cheryl, and we're really glad to have them this morning, so thankful uh, and uh, don't ask them any bad stories about me, please. Um, so uh, today we're going to keep going and do our final message in our, uh, in our series, Slow Your Roll. But I want to actually, again, did it last week, but introduce you to what's coming next, what starts next week. We're going to do a series titled Dear Skeptic. And in this series, what we're doing is we're trying to answer some of the most common challenges that folks from a skeptical kind of position towards Christianity uh, bring, uh, the questions that they're asking. And, uh, and these are conversations that I know people are having that you have probably had with people. And there, there they are. First week, we're going to talk about skepticism people have towards the Bible. Uh, we're going to uh, then, in the week, a little bit after Valentine's Day, have a discussion about uh, skepticism people have towards the, the, the view of Christianity on sex, which should be fun. Um, the third week is uh, skepticism people have when they feel like Christianity, uh, faith is up against science. It's anti-intellectual. The, the, the fourth week, we're going to talk about problems people have with exclusivity. And the fifth week, we're just going to talk about how people are just simply skeptical of Jesus. And uh, th this, I, I know people are, are asking these questions because I've had so many of these conversations, and I bet you are too. I bet you're having these conversations. I bet there are people asking these questions in your life. And I want to equip you, but I also want to ask you to open up your, your heart to, to seeing God do a work through you. Because uh, it's in these conversations that so often God is working actively on people's hearts to see the hope and the love and the truth that we have in Jesus. And he may want to very well work through you. And so uh, I just encourage you to be open. I'm praying that God's going to change some hearts and minds as we get into that series, okay? All right. This week is the final week of Slow Your Roll, and what we've been doing for the last four weeks this is the fifth. We've been trying to seek God's wisdom in light of our very busy, overly busy, crazy busy lives that we are living, and what, what we've been wanting is rest, and what we've been discovering is that the Bible really does speak to uh, some, some rhythms of rest and restoration that can set us free. And, uh, and like I've said every single week, I, I, I hope that you're not just hearers of the word, I hope you're doers of the word, because uh, what, what I, I actually believe what I have been experiencing is I have put some of this into practice is that I've found rest and restoration in ways that I've needed it. And I know that you can have that too, and I just, I, 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 it would be a shame for five weeks of this to happen and, and for us not to experience some of the freedom and transformation that Jesus really offers here, okay? So, uh, so today's message is titled, uh, <laughs> You're Busy Because You're Freaking Out About the Wrong Things. Uh, uh, it's kind of a long title, right? And we're going to follow it up with a, a, a little bit longer scripture this morning. We're going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Um, uh, 
It is longer, but we really need to read all of it to, to see the, the breadth of what Jesus is saying to us that I'm going to hit on here this morning. So you can turn there now if you brought your Bible. If you didn't, there, there should be one in the front of your chair. And as you're getting there, let's do what we always do before we open God's Word. Let's pray and prepare our hearts and minds. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you today as we do every Sunday, Lord, and we ask you to speak into our lives. Lord, we, uh, we want to know you. We want to follow you. We trust that you love us with this unconditional, everlasting love that is forever but steps down into our lives right here and right now. And as we open your word, we trust that you're going to speak to us. We trust that your Holy Spirit is at work in all of our lives. And Lord Jesus, I just pray um, that the things that you're saying to us, we would have ears to hear, we would have hearts soft enough to be open to know what it is that, that, that you truly are speaking, Lord, and that, that, that by your grace, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, Lord, they would be pleasing in your sight because, Jesus, we come before you as our rock and our redeemer. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Luke uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what, should I, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. 
That's actually it. We're not going to verse 34. Okay. Um, uh, have you guys ever heard uh, about this man, uh, Howard Hughes? Has anybody heard that name before? Howard Hughes? Uh, if you haven't, Howard Hughes uh, was a, was a big-time businessman, uh, a billionaire through his work in the entertainment industry, through the aviation industry. I think he even dabbled in, in big oil here in Houston. And, um, and what's most interesting to me about Howard Hughes and his story is not really how he acquired his riches, how he became a billionaire, uh, but really what happened after he got his riches later in life when he accomplished so much, after he had made so much money. Uh, be- because most of us live under, uh, under an assumption, this assumption, we work hard, so one day we hope that we can be financially secure, right? We, we work hard and, and try to accomplish things that we set out to do in life uh, with the hopes that one day we're going to be able to kick back and relax and uh, retire, right? Uh, find us then sitting by a pool, sipping drinks with little umbrellas in them, or maybe um, out, out somewhere enjoying our favorite hobby, or, uh, or, or maybe traveling around the world, or maybe uh, uh, taking on some greater good, right? Those are the things that we hope to do once we finally get there, once we become stable, and that's what we hope happens. That's the assumption that we work towards and we live under. Uh, but Howard Hughes, what's so interesting about his story is when he finally got secure, w- way more than secure, when he accomplished all the things he set out to do, Hughes was never seen sitting by a pool. Hughes spent the last two decades of his life hiding in hotel rooms. And the reason that he did that wasn't because there was anything actually wrong, but because he was worried about all that he had amassed and what might happen to it. Hughes became obsessed with this idea that he could lose it all, that people were out to, 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 to take what he had from him. And so he, he went and lived in hiding as, as a recluse, moving from hotel room to hotel room, trying to keep uh, anonymity uh, for the rest of his life. And when uh, he ended up dying, after having kept even those who were closest to him away, uh, nobody could even recognize that this was his body, could ID the body because he had become such a recluse. The Treasury Department had to use fingerprints to confirm that it was actually him. Um, Howard Hughes, the famous billionaire, mogul in aviation and entertainment, it's just an incredible, incredible story, right? For a man who seemingly had it all, isn't it interesting how his worry ended up taking it all from him? So it's not exactly the same story that Jesus tells here in the scripture, but I see parallels in the parable that he tells us, right? Here are two brothers that come and approach Jesus out of the crowd, a real life situation. My brother, he's not dividing the inheritance with me. They're fighting over this thing, this want that they have, these these riches, and, and, and one brother is breaking the relationship with the other. They're, they're losing what they have, and Jesus isn't happy about it. And so he tells them this, this parable, this story about this rich man 
uh, who suddenly has more crops than he needs. He's got a lot already. Suddenly he's got an abundance more. And so this rich man says to himself, what, what should I do with these crops, right? I know I'll build bigger barns. I'll knock down the ones that I have. I'll build larger ones and I'll store my security and my future in these barns for years to come, and then I'll sit by the pool with an umbrella drink, right? He, he actually says, I'll sit back and relax, right? And, and Jesus, telling this story, then immediately says, what about this man? He's a fool, because the very next day he dies, right? And, and the reason Jesus tells that story to these two brothers, and we hear it to, to guard our hearts against greed. That's what he says, verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that's a really important lesson. But there's something else that, that he does that, that I think is also very important to see. After telling the parable and giving a warning about greed, he then makes a connection. He says this. He turns to his disciples and says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Don't worry about those things. And so Jesus moves from a lesson on greed to a lesson on worry, right? And, and notice the thought flow here, right on the heels of telling us not to store up earthly treasure, he is now telling us not to worry about earthly things. Why? I think it's because Jesus is trying to help us see uh, actually a paradox. And, and I'm going to call, call it this, it's the more paradox. The more paradox, and, and I, I would say that, that it's this. More does not decrease worry and anxiety. More increases worry and anxiety. More does not lessen the feelings of concern that we have in our lives. When we have more in our lives, suddenly actually we have more concern in our lives. To say it in another way, the more one has, the more one has a tendency to worry. And y'all y'all recognize this this paradox? Have you experienced it? Uh, yeah, I see some heads nodding. You know, the simplest way is when we look at our kids and think their life is so simple. They're not worried about anything. And then you become an adult and you think, oh man, wouldn't it be great to be a kid again, right? Uh, and, and, and this is what happened. This paradox is what Hughes lived into, right? The more successful he got, the more money he had, the worse his life became. Worry and anxiety took over his soul, right? And so where he, when he finally got where he was trying to be, he didn't find any rest or peace. He found the opposite. And, and what's true is that Hughes isn't the only one to have gotten somewhere, to appear to feel financially secure, uh, and, and discovered that it wasn't what he hoped it would be at all. Here's some names you recognize. Henry Ford. He reflected on his life after and before all the fame and money rolled in when he invented the Model T, and he said that. I was happier when doing a mechanics job, right? 
Uh, William Henry Vanderbilt, the benefactor and namesake of Vanderbilt University, once said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no, no pleasure in it, right? Uh, Andrew Carnegie once made this observation, millionaires seldom smile. Do you see the paradox at play? Uh, more didn't make these fellows happier, better off, more secure. It did just the opposite, okay? Uh, let's keep going with this. When Jesus connects greed to worry, I want, I, want, I want to recognize something here about greed. Greed isn't about the regular, normal things that we already have. Greed isn't about what you have. Greed is about the things that you want, those extra things, those over and above, what we don't have yet, right? That, that's how greed operates. For example, I cannot, David cannot be greedy about a 2011 Toyota Camry because I have a 2011 Toyota Camry, right? Uh, and it's a great car. I could be greedy about a 2019 Lamborghini, right? I could see one drive by and go, ooh, I would like that vehicle because I don't have that. Uh, but I do have a vehicle that is perfectly good and meets all of my needs and more, uh, and greed creeps in when I want more than that, right? And if, if I, I did want that Lamborghini, um, I would be greedy, especially when there are so many other places that that money could and should go. Here's what I want you to recognize. The more paradox isn't just about what we have. It's also about what we want, okay? It, it operates not only in what we have, but in the things we want. Our lives lack rest. They don't find peace. We are tired not only when we are concerned about what we have, but also when we get overly concerned about the things that we want. And so to state our paradox in another way, I would say it like this. Wanting more does not decrease worry and anxiety. Wanting more increases worry and anxiety. Friends, this is where I think actually the rubber hits the road for, for most of us, for a lot of us. Because a lot of us, I think we recognize that we're blessed, that, we, that so many of us have so much. But, but who here puts themselves in the category of Carnegie, right? Anybody? If, if, if you do, I need to talk to you after, <laughs> after the service. <laughs> we, we don't have that kind of money, right? We don't carry the weight of those kind of riches. And so, so what we do is we don't think that we have this more problem, Right? We don't think this is my problem, but you know what we do carry? We carry around the weight of our wants. All of us carry around the weight of our, our wants. All of us have things that we look at and we think about and we envision into the future and we say, I want that. Do you have that? Can you think of those things in your mind right now without any, any pause? I bet most of us can. Uh, I bet you can name them and I bet that you also worry about them to some extent. Worry about being able to get and achieve those things that you want. And, and what I think we've got to recognize, right, we've talked about how busy sickness 
isn't just uh, decisions that we make, but it's also part of the water that we're swimming in in America, right? We all live in a world of want. Modern American life is built on want, right? Or trying to get us, the consumer, to want, right? The marketing, and the marketing isn't just targeting the, the, the desire for one item, right? Watch the Super Bowl commercials tonight. We are being sold on something a lot bigger than that. Nike isn't selling you a shoe as much as it is an image. Apple's packaging for the iPhone is about a kind of lifestyle that we are to aspire to want as much as it is about a phone to call somebody on, right? We are, uh, we are being groomed to want in this country, to want stuff, to, to desire a, a future, to have a certain kind of life. We are taught and trained to, to want higher and higher personal goals, greater success up and to the right. And the reality is that we live in a time and a place where we just want so much, right, for ourselves, for our children, for the future. And, and, and here's the thing, talk about being tired in this country. What's been the result of all this want, right? Uh, when you look at studies on anxiety and worry, um, do, do you know that they are verifiably at an all-time high in America right now? Statistically, uh, in, in, in the surveys that have been done, we are higher, we are more worried and more anxious than we have ever been before as a country living in decades of want, right? Do, do you know that, that young people today, uh, there was a study done by a group of scientists at, in, at UCLA surveying uh, young, young freshmen, incoming freshmen. They marked lower mental health scores than, than they've ever seen before, right? Right now, uh, wanting, all this want is making us tired. Don't you think that chasing after what you want is making you, you crazy busy, right? And, and folks, this is what I'm trying to say. This isn't about rich people. It's about you and me too, right? Right here, right now. And when we recognize what is happening to us, what's happening in us, one of the ways that we find rest and restoration is to simply learn how to stop freaking out about the wrong thing and instead to concern ourselves with the things that matter the most. And that's what Jesus gets us to see, reminds us of, does whatever he can to, to wake us up to when he, when he shares what he shares in this passage. He wants to heal us and help us experience freedom. And, 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 and so I just want to look at it again. Verse 22 again, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. You know, for the longest time when I read that scripture, I actually always read it as a warning of Jesus to tell us, don't be materialistic, right? Don't be materialistic. Don't worry about food or clothes. That's what it sounds like. Those are things that uh, maybe are more superficial, right? Um, and, and, and because I've never really wanted a $300 pair of jeans, and I'm perfectly fine with a, uh, a steak from HEB most of the time, I never took those words deep to heart. I kind of just read through this passage and just moved over it, right? Uh, I bet many of you have too. But here's what I realized. 
um, I was reading it wrong, right? The most helpful realization I had was to recognize, was to remember that Jesus so often in the scriptures is speaking to a much different audience in a much different place and time. And, and, and this is so important to remember. The Bible was not written to upper middle class or even lower class Americans. It was written here in Luke's gospel, Jesus is speaking to first century mid to lower income Jews. And so these were people who, whose lives were different. They actually may have had some assets, right? A field to farm. Most would have had a home over their, over their, to, to sleep in. But these people didn't have refrigerators or overstocked pantries or grocery stores to visit. When it came to food, they could store some grains for a while, right? But everything else was day to day right? So, so some of the people Jesus was speaking to uh, may not have even known where their dinner was going to come from that very night, right? And, and when Jesus talks about clothes, these people aren't dealing with excess clothing, right? Uh, th these people weren't watching Marie Kondo on Netflix and then putting mounds of clothes on their beds, seeing, you know, how much there was and all this extra stuff they had that they needed to give away, uh, I read a scholar who said people would have had the clothes on their back and maybe one extra garment. Most, all, everybody certainly wouldn't have had more than two, right? And so when Jesus is telling these folks not to worry about food or clothing, this is a different scenario than most of us probably have been hearing. These were simpler people living in a much simpler existence. He wasn't addressing the excesses of materialism he was speaking to basic human needs. And so the question is what, is, what is he what is he saying then? If he's telling people not to worry about basic human needs, what's he, he saying? And, and this is where the skill of good Bible reading is so critical to be able to see all of what he's saying, Jesus is saying, and put it together. And I don't think when you read this, Jesus is saying you don't need a roof over your head. He doesn't say that here, right? Nor do I think Jesus is saying, from here on out, I want you to just pray and hope that your meals arrive for you every day, right? That's not what he says. Jesus knows that we've got the rent to pay. I think Jesus knows that we have to go out and buy groceries uh, be, because that's exactly what he says later on in verse 30. Your father knows that you need these things, right? What Jesus is saying specifically is don't worry about these things. He's not saying don't think about these things. He's saying don't worry. Don't concern yourselves overly with these things. He's not saying don't make plans for these things. He's not saying don't, don't make sure that these things are in your life. He's saying don't worry about them. Don't make them more important than they are. Why? Because Jesus now uses his own more. Because life is more than food, and the body is more then close. What Jesus is saying is, this is what life is really about. What are the most important things? Why did God give you lungs to breathe and a life to live in the first place? What, what Jesus is saying is, even these basic necessities, we cannot make the center of our lives. And we've got to put the most important things in the center of who we are and what we do. And that's worth worrying about. We've got to aim our hearts higher than even the most basic things in life. And so food and clothes, I, they're important, right? But Jesus is saying that shouldn't be what you worry about the most, you know, that you have clothes on your back or even that you're going to eat, right? You should worry about 
about the kingdom of God, right? And how sad is it when a person, especially now with the excesses we live in today, when the center of their life, the most important thing is shopping, right? Or, or your job, right? That's important. It pays the bills. It provides you probably with a sense of purpose and many of us satisfaction, even a sense of identity. Work is a gift of God. But how sad is it when you're so worried about climbing up the promotional ladder that it becomes more important than your children, than your marriage, than your relationship with God, right? Your kids, they are important, are they not, right? They remind you every morning when they wake up. They are one of the greatest gifts that we could ever receive. And how, how many of us worry about our kids? I do. Like, how, how can you not worry about your kids? I am concerned. I care about their future. I, I think deeply about their test scores. <laughs> I, I, I want them to be good at sports, especially ones that I care about, right? <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> How sad is it when you see a parent lose their lives and their children, when they live 100% vicariously through the outcomes in their children, right? The, it, it's sad. They miss seeing the bigger picture. We, we get so concerned with giving our kids everything and the futures that we want for them that so often we are missing the priority of the things that are most important, right? You know, I was scrolling through Facebook uh, this last week when I was at work. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I ran across this image that was posted from someone who's part of our community. Um, that's an image of a woman named Holly Ferguson and her son the day that he finally came out of a coma that lasted five weeks after he was in an accident. And what actually had happened was that um, People had come from her church, and as James chapter 5 said, they uh, anointed him with oil, and they prayed for him, and a miracle by the grace of God was that he, he was healed. He woke up. He opened his eyes. That picture was taken just after that happened, um, which is just incredible. And, and as I read this story, what actually struck me was not so much his healing but actually what his mom, Holly Ferguson, said she experienced when she arrived at the hospital and the doctor told her he thought that her son was brain dead and that he was going to die. These, these are the words. I think they're really important for today. The worst part of it all was in that moment as I was seeing his body lay on the hospital bed with blood draining from both ears, I realized that I had failed as a parent. I didn't know what his relationship with Christ or what his salvation would be. Would I ever see him again? Was he saved? Was this it? Would he go to heaven? No, no, no. And this is the line that really caught me. You see, I had let everything else in life be more important than eternity. How could I have been so foolish? That's a word we, we've heard this morning. The Bible says I am responsible for my child's salvation, and yet I made work, school, and entertainment more important than the one thing that truly matters the most. I thought we had so much time, but time was gone, and my opportunity to make this right was over. That's the, the feeling, those were the thoughts that she had 
when she came up on her son in the hospital that first day. And by God's grace, right, she, she was given more time. He was given more time. His son, son woke up. He actually, uh, she shared faith with him a lot. He received Christ. And even though he isn't fully recovered yet, she shares in this post how she's now, he's saying that he's happier than he's ever been um, even though he's not fully recovered, right? And I, and I share that story not to, not to scare anyone, right? But to simply say, you guys, I think this woman, Holly Ferguson, saw very clearly exactly what Jesus was saying to us in this scripture, right? We can't let everything else in life be more important than eternity. What's first, what's worth worrying about, is what Jesus concludes this whole passage with. And in 21 verses, he ends with this. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. That's exactly where we end. Jesus says, this is what you need to worry about more than anything else. The kingdom of God, it's the only thing worth your concern. It's what comes first. And when we, we put that first, we trust that God, who provides for the birds of the air and clothe the flowers of the field, will provide so much more for us because we are his beloved children. And when Jesus says, put the kingdom first, it doesn't mean that, that there's like a list and, and we put God first and then there's other things that come under that list. The idea is that there is a centerpiece to our lives and you, you lodge Jesus in the center and it, eternity is in our hearts and every other decision that we make flows out of that middle piece of, of, of who we are, Right? And, and, and we trust that God then is going to take care of the other things. We don't worry about the outcomes that don't truly matter. And so I'll leave you all with this, the same question I'm wrestling with and asking myself right now. Is, is God the center of your life? Is his kingdom first in your life? If he's not, Friends, this is a chance to realign. If he is, guess what? You don't have to worry about anything else, right? <laughs> That's freeing. And I think uh, when, when we do that, I think we're going to be able to slow our rolls. I think we're going to be able to find some rest and restoration that we truly need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for... <laughs> really tough and truthful words that you give us. I thank you for the gift of clarity that comes through your word, that, that you can help us see who we are, that you can help us purge the depths of our hearts and our minds and recognize the things turning and moving in us. And Lord, I thank you that by your grace, <laughs> you, you, you let us not worry about even the most basic things in life. You, you, you say that all we need to do is concern ourselves at the center with who you are and, and our relationship with you, Lord. And I just pray, as your spirit has been speaking, that, that we would move, that we, we would realign and readjust things, Lord, so that we could be set free. And I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.